The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. Greetings, scribes. Just a quick break to recommend our recent sponsor's Book of the Month. Book of the Month makes reading better by offering members a few new book selections each month to help you cut through the noise, save time, and make it easier to decide what to read next. Each month, the editorial team reads through hundreds of new titles and picks five to seven of the best new books for you to choose from. All of these books are good, so you really can't go wrong. Book of the Month helps readers like you and I find books that we wouldn't normally discover on our own. The cool part is selections largely focus on new and upcoming authors in multiple genres. Book of the Month also recently launched curated audiobooks, so members can get a hardcover or an audiobook each month, which you can then download and listen to right in the app. This month, I chose A Little Supernatural Fair in Murder Road by New York Times bestselling author Simone St. James, described as the story of a young couple that find themselves haunted by a string of gruesome murders committed along an old deserted road in this terrifying new novel. Just go to bookofthemonth.com to pick your first book and join Book of the Month. That's bookofthemonth.com. And for a limited time, you can join and get that first book for just $9.99 with the code CHIRP. That's C-H-I-R-P. Enjoy. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Rainmaker FM. Welcome back to The Writer Files. I am still your host, Kelton Reed, here to take you on another tour of the habits, habitats, and brains of renowned writers. And in part two of this file, the Hugo winner and multiple New York Times bestselling science fiction author John Scalzi took a break from his whirlwind new book tour to chat with me about The Collapsing Empire, the timely importance of storytelling, and what makes a writer truly great. His wildly popular debut novel, Old Man's War, began as a serialized blog before attracting attention from an agent and editor. Its 2006 publication earned him a Hugo nomination and multiple awards. And since then, he's written dozens of novels, including New York Times bestsellers, The Last Colony, Fuzzy Nation, Red Shirts, and Lock-In. His work has been translated into over 20 languages, and multiple projects have been optioned for film and TV. Well, it's no surprise that the prolific author has been a professional writer since the early 90s. In addition to his award-winning blog, Whatever, John has written freelance journalism, novellas, short stories, a wide range of nonfiction, video games, been a creative consultant for a hit TV series, and remains a critic at large for the LA Times. In 2015, the author signed a multi-million dollar deal with Tor Books for 13 titles over 10 years, and the first of those is The Collapsing Empire, a best-selling interstellar space opera that's been described as Game of Thrones meets Dune. And in part two of this file, John and I discuss why this isn't the worst time in human history by a long shot, the writer's unique workflow and technological polyglottism, creativity as a survival instinct, how luck and persistence can play a part in your success as a writer, and why you really only need to focus on the things you can control. The Writer Files is brought to you by the all-new Studio Press Sites, 
a turnkey solution that combines the ease of an all-in-one website builder with the flexible power of WordPress. It's perfect for authors, bloggers, podcasters, and affiliate marketers, as well as those selling physical products, digital downloads, and membership programs. If you're ready to take your WordPress site to the next level, see for yourself why over 200,000 website owners trust StudioPress. Go to rainmaker.fm slash studiopress now. That's rainmaker.fm slash studiopress. And if you're a fan of the writer files, please click subscribe to automatically see new interviews as soon as they're published. You know, I mean, I, all I can come back to is that it seems like now <laughs> more than ever at any time in history, we do need these uh, great stories, don't we? We need great storytellers like yourself uh, to help us through <laughs> the rough patches. So, I think that, well, I mean, humans storytell no matter what we do. And to, you know, to get into the sort of, you know, now let's talk about the mystical aspects of writing, but that's how we communicate with each other. Yeah. We tell each other stories about, you know, what we want. We tell each other stories about what's going on. We tell each other stories about who we want to be uh, and then try to meet up with those things. We are, we're a storytelling species. Um, that's, that's what we do. Um, I know that this isn't the worst that it's ever been. Do you know what I mean? Oh yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I was talking to somebody and we were, you know, the whole idea that 2016 was terrible and 2017 has been worse. And I, I have the position that 2017 is a terrible year but it's not as bad as 2016 because we knew 2017 was going to be bad. <laughs> you know, we knew mm -hmm. in November. That's like, okay, here we go. 2016 could have had the potential to be a wonderful year. And yet, you know, the very first thing it did was it took David Bowie, you know, and mm -hmm. that's, that's when we knew that, that 2016 wasn't messing around. It was going to take a, take a chunk out of us. But even then, you know, 2016, it's not a patch on 1939, you know, uh, sure. It's not a patch on 1492. If you're looking at a, a, a you know, if you're someone who um, has any sense of of history and what 1492 did to uh, the people who lived in the Americas, yeah. um, you know, there there has always been awful times. There have always also with, within those horrible years, there have been uh, wonderful things as well. We have always needed stories. We have always needed people. Uh, to tell us that it's going to be better and also to remind us that things are good. Um, it feels terrible right now. I mean, particularly, I mean, there are, I imagine that there are some people who's like, yes, 2017 is going exactly to plan. I don't know who they are because even the people who thought that they were, you know, that they were going to be happy with what they were getting um, have uh, basically uh, been surprised at what they got. Um, but uh, you know, as far as it goes, even within uh, that that those difficulties, um, there have been good things too. And I think we owe it to ourselves as storytellers uh, to you know help mitigate pain and to accentuate joy um, to the extent that we can do that. That's great. Um, you know, it's not all up to us, but we've always had to do that. Every year has had its challenges. Every year has uh, been a great year and a terrible year as well. Um, and true that, you know, this year seems below average in terms of joy and happiness. Um, but I think that, uh, we can still find things that we are happy about, um, and share them with each other. And that's, that's part of, that's part of the gig. You're right.
Yeah, yeah. Some some good perspective there for sure. Um good 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 things to remember, especially um for writers. So just to touch on workflow really quick, uh, before I plug your brand about creativity itself. Um I know you've been a Mac guy forever. Are you still a still a Mac user? No, actually I haven't been a Mac guy. I was a Mac guy in for a very brief period between two thousand five and two thousand seven professionally. Uh-huh. But when I started writing was uh, right around the same time the first Macintoshes came out. Um, so from about 1984 to about 1991, I was a Mac dude. Then I went over to PC, uh, had a brief moment of Macness, and then I've gone back to PC. And now I'm using Chromebooks a lot ah. too. So I'm all over the place. I, I am not. I am not a faithful uh, person computer wise. I am. I am <laughs> computer poly. That's I think that's yeah. the way I want to say it. Sure, sure. Well, that's cool. Um, so for, just for like, you know, other writers who might be curious about the Chromebook workflow, then are you, I mean, how are you capturing or, you know, getting stuff onto the page um, in a Chromebook? Are you using a, a like a dedicated cloud service or? Well, what happens is uh, the nice thing about Chromebooks um, is that they are super integrated into the Google ecosystem. And Google um, has a suite of productivity apps um, that are basically cloud-based. Um, so Google Docs and the other stuff that they use, I mostly use Google Docs. Um, and so when I'm writing on a Chromebook, I can I will use Google Docs particularly for shorter works, like short stories and uh, articles and stuff like that. But when I uh, need something a little more featured, full-featured, um, I can also access, uh, these days, I can access Microsoft Word online through Office 365. So like when I'm at my desktop, I'll be writing on, on Word. I will save it to Office 365, as well as keeping a local copy, because as you know, as a writer, it's so easy <laughs> to lose things. Multiple copies is, is you know, keeps you from going crazy. Um, and then I can pull it up uh, on the Chromebook, provided that I have a uh, internet connection, um, which you have these days almost everywhere, including on planes, so it's less of a problem. The one thing I like about Google Docs, which every other online um, word processor hasn't figured out yet, much to my confusion, um, (laughs) is that Google Docs actually has a ruler so that I can indent, you know, and (laughs) it seems like a small thing, but honestly, um, you know, indenting now means that I don't have to indent later. You know, um, and so Office 365, the word online doesn't have it. Yeah, you actually have to make, you know, do all those uh, uh, formatting things that you want to do. You actually have to do them in a document on a desktop or a laptop that is Windows capable and then save that document to the cloud rather than starting a new document and, and having the formatting that you want. And I just think that's stupid. <laughs> but, um, but yeah. Uh, like five or six years ago, when the when the um, Chromebooks uh, were coming out, um, I tried writing a novel on them, um, and I couldn't because they weren't there yet. Uh, but now it's it's actually really easy to do uh, enough so that when I'm on tour, I've I'm taking a, the Acer C three hundred two with me, um, both as my main computer and also for it flips over to be a tablet. Um, so I can do my readings on that as well. Um, and it's become a really versatile thing uh, for a writer on the road. Now, I wouldn't try to like do heavy duty 
video editing on it or audio editing or photo editing. Sure. Um, but for regular old editing, for regular old writing, it's uh, it's uh, everything I need at this point. And it's cheaper. I was I was, you know, I had to come down to the decision between uh, the Acer C302A um, and uh, a Dell XPS um, 13. And both of them are beautiful computers and I would have been happy with either. But one was, you know, half the cost yeah. and also was cheap enough that if I lost it in an airport, which I have done with previous laptops, um, then uh, I wouldn't feel, you know, I would be upset, but I wouldn't <laughs> be, I just lost a $1,500 computer upset. I'd be like, ah, all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, all good points there. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. Uh, well, that's cool um, and interesting. Uh, you don't hear that every day. So um, how does John Scalzi unwind at the end of a long uh, writing day? Um, with more writing, usually, because I'm an idiot, apparently. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, so I get done with my writing uh, for the day, um, and then I will often flip over to my website and I'll write a web entry uh, or, you know, a blog entry, or I will go on Twitter and I will yell at my friends and they'll yell back at me. <laughs> uh, I do things other than writing, but it is, you know, that is the thing that I actually enjoy. So I tend to do a little bit more writing before I'm done with the day. Eventually, you know, my wife comes home and my child comes home um, and we spend time with each other as family. Uh, my wife and I will watch, you know, something on TV or watch a movie, uh, and we'll talk, but I'm, my life is basically fairly, you know, simple and, uh, uh, stayed, you know, we don't go off and have, you know, uh, wacky adventures at the end of each day. I actually am uh, a, a creature, you know, uh, who enjoys his comforts. Yeah. Um, so family and pets and, um, you know, home are, are things that, that appeal to me. So basically what I'm admitting is that I'm a hobbit. <laughs> right, right. Um, right. Good stuff, good stuff. All right, well, um, I, if you have the time, I'd love to pick your brain a little bit about creativity. Um, yeah, let's do it. Okay, so do you have a definition of, like kind of your own definition of creativity for writers? For for me particularly, I think creativity is the ability to um, ima both imagine a world in your head um, and be able to express that uh, what's in your head to to others. Um, and I, I guess one of the, the fundamental questions is where does that creativity come from? Why are some people creative and some people aren't? Um, and um, I don't know that I have a really good answer to that. I mean, I, I think about my wife. My wife is one of the most awesome people in the world. You know, she's uh, super smart. She's super organized. She, you know, keeps you know, Team Scalzi together. She is the CEO. I am the, <laughs> I am the, I am the figurehead chairman, right? Um, but she does like all the work, and she, I would, you know, my life would be miserable and unhappy without her. Not only emotionally, but from a, a business point of view, um, 
And she is perfect and I love her and she doesn't have a creative bone in her body and she's the first to admit it. Um, and does, and what does that mean? Um, does it mean that she's less of a, uh, you know, less of a person? Obviously not. She's not. Um, but it does mean that there's some part of her brain that doesn't work the way my brain works. And it goes both ways. There are things that she can do that I can't do. And I'm sort of amazed that they get, you know, that she can get them done. She is an, an amazing straight line thinker. You present her with the problem. She, you know, she doesn't do the nerd overthinking thing of going <laughs> 16,000 different places. Uh, she just goes, this is what needs to get done. And then later on, after I've gone 16,000 different places, I'm like, you were absolutely right. And you had that answer, you know, a month ago, whereas I had to go through all this other stuff. And I think maybe that's the maybe that's the thing is the the people who are creative in one way or another, you might say that they're the people who overthink, who do all the scenarios. What does that mean? You know, someone says, you know, you say hello to someone and they say hello back. And they're like, why did they say hello in exactly that way? Was there something going? I think I noticed some strain in their voice. What was going on? And then you imagine the scenario where they say hello to you, but it's filled with you know, a tinge of regret, wistfulness and all that sort of stuff. Whereas like most people would just be like, he said, hello, what more do you want out of him? It's like, but I need to know more. <laughs> um, and so I think maybe that's, maybe there is a correlation between creativity and just overthinking, which would correspond, I think, in a way to why the stereotype of writers is that they're neurotic in one way or another, because neurosis often exhibits itself as they sort of making up multiple scenarios, most of them terrible, you know, uh, and, uh, and then, you know, trying to figure out what to do with that. Um, and I, you know, it's rooted in biology in some way or another, I'm absolutely sure. Maybe you needed creative people uh, back on the savanna to go, you know, someone say, well, we just need to go to that tree right over there, you know, and they'd be like, but wait, between here and the tree, how many different sort of predators do you think there are? Because I've, imagine 17 of them and they would all eat us right <laughs> so that creativity was not about you know writing but it was about you know somebody has to think of uh, all the all the ways that this could go horribly wrong um and so maybe that was just uh, you know maybe that's what where creativity comes up from it's a mm. survival tactic for the tribe not everybody has to be creative and indeed if you only had a group of creative people in your tribe maybe you would never get anything done because they would be paralyzed by indecision. You need someone to go, screw it, we're going to go do this thing. Um, <laughs> but uh, by the same token, you you need the people who go, well, let's, let's play out that scenario. So I think that that's probably part of it, um, that, yeah. that creativity uh, eventually comes from, you know, the need not to have ourselves or other people, you know, eaten by leopards. <laughs> I don't know. Is that the usual answer? Tell, <laughs> that is, me. yeah. No, in a nutshell, yes. Thank you. Um, exactly <laughs> the usual answer. I love it. I love it. So, do you do you have some creative force that's driving you right now, or, or just kind of in general something that that makes you feel most creative? Um, I used to say. Um, that the the driving creative force in my life was my mortgage, um, which people laughed and I was like, no, seriously, I don't <laughs> want to have to work doing anything else. So um, 
you know, uh, and I have to pay my mortgage. So that's that is a uh, that is a primary focus. Uh, and then I would give the example of how creativity can come from anywhere. It's like, why is crime and punishment a uh, 600 page masterpiece of guilt and, you know, redemption? Um, is it because that was the form that Dostoevsky had always had in his mind for it? Or was it that Dostoevsky had gambling debts and uh, crime and punishment was a serial uh, that was published in a magazine and that it behooved him to have it go on as long as humanly possible because he had gambling debts? Um, and the answer is uh, a little of column A and a little of column B. Um, so uh, there's a lot of material um, aspects to uh, my creativity, you know, it was a lot of times I, I didn't want to have to do anything else for a job. I did want to have a house. I did want to eat. I did want my daughter to have shoes. Uh, <laughs> and and I think there's nothing wrong with acknowledging that aspect. Another aspect that people don't want to acknowledge all the time because it sounds ignoble, but I started writing stories when I was 14 years old because I wrote them and they got me attention. Right. Like all my friends were like, wow, you do this really well. And so I would write stories and they would star my friends and they would do ridiculous things. And, you know, and it was awesome. Um, and uh, so I've always had that attention seeking aspect of my uh, uh, creativity. I mean, I've never I've never kept a personal journal, you know, writing in the Dear Diary. Today I did blah, 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 um, because I would only be writing for myself. I mean, one of the reasons that I wrote a blog was, you know, because I wanted to tell people what I was thinking, you know, um, and in some ways that's good. And, the, you know, um, it can it can edge into mansplaining, which is a thing that I've certainly been accused of, uh, you know, more than once in my lifetime. I'm a recovering mansplainer. I hope to get better <laughs> as I go along. Uh, but um, but that want and desire for uh, attention is absolutely part of uh, what fuels my creativity, because. This is a way that I can say to people, hey, I have value. Not only do I have value, but you're going you're gonna to love me before these things that come out of my brain. Um, so those are two things. And then the third thing is the less noble, but simply of I overthink. I think of the world. I imagine scenarios. They seem interesting to me. And um, my brain is going to create anyway. I have absolutely no control over that. It's always been that way. Uh, it's not onerous for me. The thing, the question that I get, that all writers get, that I never understand is where do you get your ideas? And it's like, it's, they just show up, you know? It's not, the question is not where do you get the ideas? I've got 20 or 30 ideas a day. The question is how do you know the good ideas from the bad ideas? Sure. Um, and my my answer for that is that, you know, it's like something comes in my brain. It's like, here's an idea. It's like, wow, that's a great idea. And then I don't, you know, I don't write it down. I, and uh, if the next day I actually remember it, then I'm like, huh, maybe this is a good idea. And then I, you know, don't write it down again. And then, you know, I keep giving ideas a whole bunch of opportunities to leave my brain. Um, and as most of them do, but a few stick. And those are the ones that I, that I write. But the creative thing um, is natural, you know, uh, and it's just, a thing that I think that anybody who has a creative urge in some ways has a hard time explaining it. And not only with writing, but any sort of thing. Like I look at friends of mine who are wonderful artists um, and I see what comes out of their hands. Uh, and I 
I'm amazed because there's no possible way that I could ever do that. I mean, I could build up a certain amount of competency with drawing so that you could recognize that what I drew was meant to be a horse, right? Um, but the the people who you look at the picture that they draw of a horse, and not only is it obviously a horse, but it is obviously more than that, it, that it evokes an emotional response that would be different than just a simple picture of a horse. Um, and how do they do that? And they can tell you how they do the craft of it, and they can tell you which pencils they use, and they can tell you, you know, about all the time that they spent practicing it, because everything, nothing uh, is achieved without practice. Um, but fundamentally, you know, a lot of it just comes down to you can do that because your brain is wired that way. Um, and it's not to discount all the effort. It's not to discount um, all the individual aspects of their creativity. But there's something that's going on that is just native to them, just like with me with writing or a musician with their ability to play a particular instrument or to create melody. Um, some of that some of that is ineffable. Some of that is indefinable. It's not magical. It's not you know necessarily purely spiritual, but it is something that you can't bottle. Work and practice and effort will take you 80 to 90% of the way of, to where you need to be. And indeed, sometimes it will be enough for you to make a career. Um, but that extra 10%, that extra 5%, that extra 1%, that is the spark, um, is something that I think is just part of your brain and you can't explain it any more than you can explain you know uh you know why you have brown eyes or why you have uh why you're left-handed or right-handed or why you're straight or gay you know it's just part of way of, of who you are um and it's part of what informs who you are as a person yeah yeah i'm sorry i monologue i don't know if you knew that when you uh <laughs> i love it i love it it's great. It's great. It's there's so much good, so many good uh, pieces of wisdom in there for writers, and I'm sure I could keep you on here all day long, uh, but I won't do that to you. Um, okay. But you know, you've been compared to some great writers throughout your career. What do you think? Kind of what what makes a, a writer great as opposed to you know average or uh, some of it is luck. Some yeah. of it is luck. Some of it is being in the right place at the right time. Um, and, uh, one of the things that I always tell people, uh, is if old man's war had been published in 2004 or 2006, instead of 2005, uh, that people might not have responded to it the way, uh, that they did and that my career would be different. Um, some of it is, um, you know, some of it is natural talent that, uh, people are able to arrange sentences uh, in ways that, you know, evoke an emotional response or that they are able to say things that need to be said at a particular time and place. Um, some of it is sheer cussedness, the, the, um, the absolute refusal to go away or accept defeat or to, uh, look at failure as anything but a temporary thing. Um, the, and I don't, having talked about the ineffable spark of creativity, um, one of the things that's always dangerous about that is to minimize the simple fact that showing up is almost all of the game. There are people I know who are, who are great writers. I, 
undisputably great writers who are super talented, um, who I look at what they do and how they write, um, and, um, and I'm in awe of it. And yet, um, they will never be known as one of the greats. Uh, and why is that? Part of that uh, is because sometimes they don't put in the effort. Sometimes they don't care. Sometimes uh, the you know they are victims of their particular circumstances uh, that makes it difficult for people to find uh, the writing that could possibly change their lives. Um, so much of uh, so much of what we do is persistence of uh, not only persistence in continuing to write and continuing to prove improve, but also the persistence of being there for people to see you, um, giving yourself as many uh, at-bats as possible so you can get on the base or hit a home run. Um, but ultimately, a lot of what makes a writer great is not up to the writer. A lot of it is up to uh, forces that are entirely beyond their control. Like I said, sometimes you have to be lucky. You have to be in the right place at the right time with the right idea. I don't call myself great, by the way, but I, like I said, with the example of, you know, Old Man's War, it was in the right place at the right time. I won red shirts. Uh, I won the Hugo Award. Would I have won that Hugo Award the year before or the year after? Who knows? It was completely different other books that were out at that time, but I got it uh, and it's had uh, a benefit to me. Um, there are so many circumstances um, that help people achieve notability or fame or greatness um, that are entirely not up to them at all. Sometimes being great just means being one of the uh, first people uh, there to play that particular game. Um, you look at some of the great video games or some of the great video game designers, and they were doing things on Atari or in 8-bits that somebody uh, today, a teenager, would just bat out and not even think about. But they were there first. They were the people who created uh, you know, the games for the Atari 2600 that people literally played for hours and hours and hours and, and became part of their uh, gestalt. Um, and so sometimes just being in the right place at the right time, it makes uh, all the difference. The one thing that I tell people about is don't worry about greatness. Don't worry about uh, anything else but the things that you can control. And the things that you can control are you, your own writing. Are you happy with what you wrote? Are you happy with the way that it spoke to you before it spoke to anyone else? Um, and it's also important to remember that um, just because you don't get fame or fortune or notoriety or whatever um, now doesn't mean that what you're doing has no value either for yourself um, or simply for the fact that uh, other people might find it. You know, one of the greatest uh, American poets is Emily Dickinson. I think she had maybe one poem uh, published during her lifetime, and that was under a pseudonym. And yet, um, you know, there is she is indisputably one of the one of the great writers in the American canon. You know, you can't you can't ignore uh, the force of her, of her work or the, you know, the beauty of her words. Um, and she went through her entire life, not knowing that we would think she was great. She never knew she got all the way through it and kept all that stuff in a, in a drawer. Um, and so you never do know, you know, I, my expectation is that when I die, uh, 20 years after I'm, after I'm gone, people will still be reading me. 50 years, 
maybe uh, a couple people will remember me like they remember E.E. E. Doc, Doc Smith or Olaf Stapledon. A um, hundred years from now, um, somebody's going to be write, reading me if, you know, because they need a thesis uh, and they're desperate. <laughs> and they're like, oh, nobody's done anything with this guy. Let me do this. Uh, and I'm perfectly okay with that because right now I'm reaping some of the benefits of doing what I'm doing. People are enjoying what I'm writing. Uh, sometimes people come to me and they say, my dad, and I read this book together and it was a thing that we bonded over and we couldn't bond over anything else before. So thank you. You can, you know, you, you get uh, some benefits now and, and I'll be dead. I won't know whether I, you know, uh, my work will survive. But right now I'm getting that benefit. Other people who we don't even, can't even name right now, a um, hundred, 200 years from now, people will be like they were, you know, they cast a shadow over this particular age. And we don't even know who they are. I wish I was alive 200 years from now to find out who that person was um, and then go, hey, hey, you know, I wrote some stuff back then too. And they'd be like, that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> but so don't worry about greatness. Worry about writing stuff that matters to you and that you think will matter to others if you want to include others in that sphere. What greatness is uh, will take care of itself. but. Uh, what you can uh, influence is uh, what you put onto the page. So take care of the stuff you can take care of um, and don't worry about the rest of it. I love that. I think that's some great, great advice for your fellow scribes and probably a good place to, to wrap up so I don't keep you over an hour. Um, yeah. I did want to ask you one f fun one. If you had to choose one author from any era for an all-expense-paid dinner to your favorite spot, your favorite restaurant, uh, who would you take and where would you take them? Ooh, oh, wow. I, it's a super, it's a super stereotypical thing. No, I changed my mind. <laughs> um, uh, I want to take, I want to take Mary Shelley, uh, to dinner. Um, yeah. because I want to tell her that she was foundational to an entire genre. Uh, and I want to see how she, I want to see how she handles that, you know, um, because I think it would be interesting because it's how often do you get to say to someone, not even Shakespeare, Shakespeare was writing plays, but people had been writing plays before that. But um, you can point to things that were sort of science fictional before uh, Frankenstein. But, okay. but in terms of, influence in terms of something that you look at and you're like there's no doubt this is science fiction not only science fiction but also horror and psychological you know a psychological thriller um that this is the place where all those things branch off of that she is our you know she is our lucy she is our eve you know for those of us who toil in genre in many ways um and she was 19 years old and so i would love to have uh you know, lunch with her or dinner with her and uh, then take her to a bookstore. So I think we would go to a bookstore cafe and it's sort of like you wouldn't take Mary Shelley, you know, to a to a nice diner. I was like, <laughs> if, if Mary Shelley is who I think she is, uh, she would want a muffin while she, you know, looked through the racks and yeah. saw what uh, became of the thing that she you know, gave birth to in her brain. So as far as that goes, I think she's the person that uh, I would I would want to have have a meal with, 
uh, and I would take her to a bookstore cafe and then be there for the rest of the afternoon while she was looking through the shelves. Ah, I love it. Good images there. John, thanks so much for stopping by the show to uh, enlighten us with some of your um, great writerly wisdom. The new book (laughs) by John Scalzi, The Collapsing Empire, uh, an interstellar epic. Um, You know, it's hard to wrap up in a few words, but it is uh, out now. You are on tour. Listeners can connect with you out there. Thank you so much for uh, popping in and wrapping with us. Thanks so much for joining me for this half of a tour through the writer's process. If you enjoy the Writer Files podcast, please subscribe to the show and leave us a rating or a review on iTunes to help other writers find us. For more episodes or to just leave a comment or a question, you can drop by writerfiles.fm. And you can always chat with me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Cheers. Talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.